Alright, hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of D-Pod. So we're continuing in our alumni series. And today um, we have uh, Jason Guba, who's one of our new grads in the Chicago ministry. If the sound sounds different today, um, it's because uh, I am recording remotely. So not in my usual um, studio. And, uh, and if I sound sick, that's because I am a little bit sick. Alright, well, hope you enjoy. Alright, hey Jason, welcome to D-Pod. Hello, DP. Glad to be here. Nice. All right. So we are continuing our like alum series and you are an alum. You are an alum of UChicago last time I checked. So here we have you. Yeah, it's crazy. I was telling Matt the other or actually this past week that it's already been six Mm -hmm. months since we've graduated. I'm like, oh, wow. Time is going by pretty fast. (laughs) It's funny because in um, Jeff B's episode, he was saying how you were recently part of Groove Theory, and I was like, "Oh, recently? You mean by like last? You mean like last year?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was listening to that part, and I think he mentioned that, that was the first time that uh, he met me. And I want to uh-huh. just say that he was wrong. I actually met him oh. at Sunday service. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was All actually right. Noah who introduced me to Jeff because he knew about. Mm. I think Noah knew that that I was in Groove Theory, so he just made that connection. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah. So maybe Jeff in his mind, like, it's seared in his memory that he knows you through Groove Theory or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, well, t- hey, it's good to have you on. Yeah, just, you know, I think people who went through the University of Chicago, you know, obviously, like, me and none of the staff who helped plant the church, we never went through the education there and things like that. And it's kind of interesting, I think, for our students to hear the faith journeys of people who have a very similar undergrad experience to them. So... That's sort of the heart behind these episodes. And so maybe we can just start from the beginning. Well, not like the beginning, beginning, but tell us a little bit about what you were like, like before, you know? And I guess for you, like the before is a little longer because you're a little older. <laughs> Talk about your experience in the Marine Corps. But yeah, well, let's go back to high school. What were you like there? And tell us about what the high school Jason Guba was like. Oh, man. Okay. So high school Jason Guba. Okay. Yeah, for yeah, the listeners that don't know me, I graduated this past year, but I actually graduated from high school back in 2014. So I was in high school from 2010 to 2014. So that's why I'm much older than like your usual typical UChicago alum. But yeah, so I think coming into my freshman year, I had like this pretty large Asian group that I would interact with that kind of was like a follow-up from like middle school. So a lot of the, the people from my middle school, they would go on to this uh, high school that was near. Mm. Yeah, so a lot of the, those friendships were maintained. And yeah, I think in high school, I was really focused on, I think I was very self-conscious about my self-image. I think I really liked being part of a larger friend group and kind of being that person that others could talk to. Mm. And yeah, I think I was able to meet a good group of friends through just through dance, through taking a lot of similar classes together and yeah i think in high school i was also pretty heavily into video games because of that same friend groups that kind of became our main form of interaction and then but Mm. once i started getting a car we would hang out outside of you know just the home online we would do stuff together go get boba or just go to random shopping malls that's like all over the socal area Mm. and then yeah i actually didn't really think about college i knew it was something that i sh- i was like i think school and my parents ingrained in me but i actually didn't know like how to get to that step 
So it actually wasn't until my senior year of high school where I had I realized that oh wow like I have to take the SAT I have to apply to college because coming from like an immigrant background where my parents immigrated from the Philippines they had no idea so I wasn't really, like really counseled on that so I think I had to figure a lot of that stuff on my own yeah just through what my friends were doing I just kind of followed along with them as they like did their whole college application process I didn't know I had to be involved in clubs, so I started joining more clubs. So I think to summarize, I felt very ill-prepared for the college application process during mm. uh, high school. Yeah. Yeah, so you were a first-generation college student or first-generation college student in the U.S., I guess? Yeah, I would say first-generation college student in the U.S. since I technically my dad did did get his uh, degree in the Philippines. Yeah, but I remember that being tough, like, because my parents were immigrants too, and Mm -hmm. they didn't know much about the college system here. Or I just, I followed my friends too. Like the reason I, you know, ended up going to Troy High School in Southern California was because one of my uh, good friends in middle school was like, oh, I'm applied to this school. Like they have this program called like IB and I'm like, (laughs) IB and (laughs) what's, what is all this? And remember having to just figure it out and figure it out just basically meant just I just followed my friends so <laughs> yeah. it sounds like it was your experience <laughs> yeah. yeah so I remember you wanted to go to Irvine was that right what, what, when you were in high school oh yeah so I actually yeah you at the time you see Irvine was uh my top school I was like in this program called like Avid and we did like some college tours um uh, hmm. Avid is basically I think advancement via individual determination so I think it was mainly targeted towards, you know, those like first gen low income students. And part of the uh, time was getting to do like college visits. So I remember I went to UC Irvine. I thought it was like a really nice campus. So I decided to apply. And yeah, I think I ended up only applying to four schools that year because finance was also like a big issue because of college applications. So yeah. I, oh man, I don't even remember the schools. I think it was like UC Irvine, UCSD. UCSB and I think UC Davis. Just, mm. Yeah, they, they were all California schools because I didn't want to stay in San Diego. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. So kind of leading out of that time, can you tell us about like the decision to go to the Marine Corps? Obviously, you didn't end up going to college right away. What was behind that decision? Yeah, so during my senior year of high school, yeah, around February, yeah, I remember I was helping volunteering at like this like after school program because there's like a lot of kids who won't get picked up until much later because they have like families that are working. So like I was, it was kind of like a tutoring program. Like we would just be there for the kids. And I remember getting a phone call from my sister and she was crying. She was bawling. I was like, what's going on? Like, what happened? And then she told me that my father was diagnosed with cancer. So it was some kind of like, throat cancer and yeah I just remember during that time I felt very stunned like I didn't know how to process like the news at the time like it felt like um it it felt like wow this is crazy something like bad like cancer could happen to like to me and my family because I don't know as a teen like you know you feel you kind of feel like you're indestructible from like Mm. the world so like I think reality kind of hit very hard and um so I knew that that wasn't going that was going to affect my future plans to go to college because like we weren't really like really well off. So mm. yeah, 
a lot of things were like racing in my mind, like <clears throat> having to pay for college, but then also having to pay for like my dad's like medical expenses. I knew it was gonna、mm-hmm. take its toll on our family. So yeah, I just remember kind of being very like apathetic, and but then I. Because I really wanted to go to college, pursue my own life, live a life away from my parents, but then objectively, I knew my dad's life was a lot more important than my ambitions. I think I was trying to figure out a way to go to college. And I think part of it was also pride because I didn't want to go to community college. I worked hard in high school. I felt very entitled. I thought I should go to a university. So it wasn't until I learned that my cousin went through the military and then that they pay for college. So that was an option I heavily considered. So I ended up talking to a recruiter after a dentist appointment, and yeah, they connected me with a recruiter at my school, and then that's how I ended up deciding to join the military. Yeah, yeah, and and then your your dad's cancer during that time, you know. He was successfully able to battle it, or what? What happened with that? Yeah.、Um, so yeah, thankfully during、um, boot camp,、um, since we had no like communications with like, I didn't have like communications with my family only except through like letters. So、hmm. I remember one of the times we had where we would receive mail from just like our loved ones and friends. Like I got a letter from my, like, oh, who is this letter from? I think it was like it was either like my mom or like my sister, and I was told that like my dad was like cancer free. So yeah, he successfully、mm. battled cancer while I was at boot camp.、Mm. Yeah, that's good to hear. So you, because of that that whole episode, you ended up signing up to go into the military, and I I didn't realize that part of it was because of the you know, that they would pay for college later. So you, I probably knew at some point, but I forgot. It was. <laughs> But that makes sense, and so I have to ask, why, why the Marine Corps? Oh, why the Marine Corps? Oh, good <laughs> question. Yeah, so I think part of my decision at the time was, so I remember twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen, or like around that era, or like I guess early twenty、mm-hmm. fourteen. A big thing was like a big like foreign conflict was like ISIS. I I remember constantly hearing them like on the news, on the internet. And like my, my thought process was, oh man, if I'm gonna be deployed to the Middle East, I want to be trained.、Mm. And there's, <laughs> and then and then the Marine Corps has this culture of being like the best in of like all the, the military matches, trying to do more with least. Because a common joke in the military is, oh, we get the hand me downs from the army, and we <laughs> make do with it. Yeah, I think just the. I guess you can say the propaganda of just the Marine Corps being very intense, having the longest boot camp, and I just wanted to like okay, be well prepared if I ever had to like deploy anywhere. So I think that's why I ultimately ended up deciding to join the the Marine Corps.、Mm. You're just an intense dude, huh? <laughs> so that wasn't the Marine Corps that did that to you. You were just like that. No, I don't know. I wouldn't say I'm intense. I was. <laughs> I think I was just afraid of all、oh, men. If I、mm. with the the potential of like potentially dying in like this occupation, it was just like, oh wow, I want to at least be some at least prepared. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So, so let's just briefly talk about your time in the military. I mean, it's a big part of your story, right? Yeah. Tell us what was what was your, if you had to sum up your time in the military, kind of just help us to understand 
or what you went through there? What would you want to tell people? Oh, man. So I think two words that I would use to describe like the military was mental fortitude. I think so. Like I think like going back to like boot camp, like it was very physically demanding. But then I think one thing that really helped me was just kind of realizing how much of a mental game it was from all the like people that were or all my drill instructors who were constantly yelling at me and just trying to push through my limits and just kind of learning that I was a lot more capable physically but it was just like my mind that gave up so I think just being put through yeah just a constant three months of like just being like working out being physically trained being ingrained with the culture letting that like individuality like die down for the team like I think it required like a lot of mental capacity and just <clears throat> realization that oh man like I am I'm like not like there's more to me than just like myself like I have like other mm-hmm. like marines to my left and right that like I have to worry about and yeah eventually I think that was eventually like enough to spur me on through the more physically intensive like challenges of like boot camp and like the military and then eventually like i would just continue to the challenges would continue like throughout like my military experience but then like it wouldn't be physical challenges anymore it would be more like leadership challenges like once as i got promoted i had to learn how to lead a team and not having done that like ever that was something like new that i had to like kind of like over come especially especially once like i became like a sergeant where like i was in charge of the daily operations of like um, yeah, just basically my um, maintenance workshop or maintenance shop. Yeah, I think one thing that I'm very grateful for the military was just the mental capacity or fortitude to, yeah, just push through. What would you say was the hardest thing that you had to do in your time in the military? Oh, man. So um, the hardest thing I ever did in the military was the crucible. So for those of you, well, actually, most of the most of the college students probably wouldn't know. Basically, the Crucible is a 54-hour event where you train everything that you've learned throughout boot camp from, yeah, just drilling uh, Marine Corps knowledge to hand-to-hand combat to rifle ranges to just, like, physical, like, team-building activities. And so over this 54-hour period, you only had three MREs, which stands for meal ready to eat. And each package is around 2000 calories. And normally for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, we would have one MRE for the day. So we would be eating like, technically if if we had it for one day, we'd be eating 6,000 calories, which is (laughs) kind of crazy to think about. (laughs) But but those 3000 cal, those three MREs, we had to ration out during those 54 hour periods. Mm. On top of having maybe like three to four hours of sleep a night. And and so and what also made this event hard was so we were in a military base called Camp Pendleton, which has a lot of like mountainous terrain. I remember like we were driven on like a bus and then like we had to hike up to the mountains and then there was like these like huge like metal containers that would like house us but it was basically just like a hunk of metal like there's no there was no insulation 
<laughs> it was like the the floor was like very hard, Dang. and then you, I had like I had two backpacks. I had my main pack, and then I had a smaller mobility pack. And basically, we were like walking up, up and down those mountains, doing a bunch of team activities for during those whole fifty four hour period. And then the culminating event was the hike, which uh, was famously known in. The West Coast Marines as the Reaper, and the Reaper is a very steep hike up the mountains. Where one thing that was surprising was how how windy it was. I thought it was just one ascent up, but it was a very steep hill, and that cold that would culminate in the Marine Corps emblem ceremony, where we would line up in formation, and then our drill instructors would give us the emblem of the Marine Corps, which is the Eagle Globe and Anchor. And yeah, I just remember that was a very, even though that was like a very hard moment, it was also kind of like a sweet moment because, you know, we were up in that mountain, the sun was just rising. Oh yeah, we woke up at 2 a.m. to do this hike. Hmm. And yeah, I just remember being in formation, the sun was rising, and then finally being handed that Eagle Globe and Anchor. I was just like, wow. Like, And then being called Marine for the first time, I just remember being wow, I earned this. All these 13 weeks was like mm. worth it. And yeah, I cried. And a lot of people mm. actually during this moment cry. <laughs> yeah, but so yeah, the Crucible was the hardest thing, but it was also like the most rewarding experience. Mm. So how important do you think that experience is in the formation of a Marine? What is going through your mind, like your psyche, as you go through that and then you finish that and you have that ceremony and you're called a Marine and you're given this thing? that you've been working for 13 weeks. I don't know, kind of just curious how you process that. Yeah. I think, so one thing that the Marine Corps is really heavily like um, built upon is like kind of like just like culture of excellence. So actually a lot of the team obstacles that like we did are named after like Medal of Honor recipients. And, um, before each event, we would read basically a Medal of Honor plaque of the person and what they did. Mm. And basically, the training exercise was to reenact what that person did. So I think just being able to, you know, just kind of take part in some of the actions that a Medal of Honor recipient did was just kind of, wow, like I'm doing this. This is something that someone before me has got. And that kind of just spurs on like motivation to just like, to go on with like that crucible because, you know, like when we're in like a heavily like controlled environment, like it's training, it's not like war. There's not a lot of factors like that. Uh, like the instructors have to consider. So I think just like realizing that, oh man, people did this in like way, probably like way worse like conditions and with a lot of more like unknown factors to me was just very, I think I was inspired. Yeah. And I think part of me wanted to continue like that, like tradition of like excellence that, that the Marine Corps was like building. And yeah, and I, on having the brothers to my left and right of me during that time also made it like a lot more bearable. Like I just remember like right before the hike, there was the night before the hike, me and there was like, there, there was me and this guy and like, I don't, we were like pretty weak hikers, but then like, I just remember 
uh, us being like, we got this. And then before they go into bed, we like gave each other a hug out of like encouragement. And yeah, so I think just being able to, yeah, reenact the culture that was set before by like Mel Honor recipients and just the brotherhood that was like being fostered during the military because we spent those entire 12 weeks together. We, we ate together, we trained together, and we slept in like, the same room together. So yeah, I think all of it was like just, mm. yeah, it was really a culminating experience. Yeah, that's powerful, man. You know, I have a pretty high respect for the military. You know, I was never in the military myself, but you know, did because of my, I think my high school JROTC experience and then, you know, really considering going to the Naval Academy, I mean, that was a big part of my high school story. You know, went to Naval Academy seminar to try to check it out. And I remember the only people crazier than the Marines there were the Navy SEALs. (laughs) (laughs) The Marines are pretty intense dudes. But I think the military demands my respect because they're an institution that still is able to form people. You know, you know, cultural commentators, they talk about how in the role of an institution is to form a certain kind of person. And and it it's still meaning something when someone says that they're a Marine. It means something. It, it means there's a certain set, set of shared experiences. And that's really neat to hear about the whole Medal of Honor thing. I, I didn't know about that particular aspect of it. But that's really powerful because it's, hey, these were people who called themselves Marines. This is what they did. This is the best of our people. Right. And, and this is what we're training you to live up to. And it's that sort of, I guess, from a, if we import kind of the Christian idea of, you know, like Hebrews 11, like the hall of faith. Yeah. And yeah. People who for you, right. Hey, it means something to be part of God's people. Right. And hey, join in this kind of long procession of people who've gone before you. And I think that's sort of what I'm sensing when you're talking about your kind of training in the <laughs> Marine Corps. And then it all culminates in you finally being called a Marine. And then it's like, oh, <laughs> <I'm just> like <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's that's really powerful. I think that's super awesome. I think there's so much to learn um, from the military in terms of its ability to still um, form people, cause people to become like, you know, go from being a child to a, a fully full-fledged adult who can take responsibility and take on really difficult tasks. Yeah, thanks for sharing some of that. So as you kind of think about... I guess your time in the military, like what, yeah, I guess kind of kind of going off of maybe some of the stuff I'm sharing already, but what are some things that you've learned in the military that has kind of paralleled your walk with Christ as you've, you know, after your time in the military, you became a Christian. What were some of the lessons that you learned in the military that have become kind of useful or have transferred over to your Christian walk? Yeah, I just remember... Oh man, I, I'm like forgetting the passage, but it talks about the body having many members, but the body can't function if we don't have one another, you know, like all the parts like both like the ear, like the foot and like the mouth. And that was something that was kind of like paralleled in um, like military culture, because I remember right before a major like field operation our commanding officer would come and he would give like a speech of encouragement and he would address us and he would i think like he would really try to ingrain the idea that we have this one purpose that we need to fulfill and it and to fulfill this purpose even 
though he might not be the one that that's in the front lines executing the mission. There are so many factors. Like, there's a lot of factors that go into accomplishing this mission, the support. And he was really trying to ingrain the idea that every member has his purpose. And I think when, yeah, going over like passages or sermons and like just really being able to experience like our church, I think that's something that like is like heavily valued because I know like from like childcare to food logistics to transportation to, and yeah, like preparing like the messages and like the content times, there's so many like different roles in our church that are being fulfilled, a lot of like support roles. And like, even though like, you know, you might not be the one that's like giving like the message or whatever. There's still like this idea of are all of these aspects of a Sunday worship service or like a retreat or like a Bible study are coming together for a purpose, whether that's like to like spiritually form like the students and staff or yeah, what have you. So mm-hmm. I think that was that was like a neat parallel to see between like my time from the military to yeah, just experiencing our church. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. Like nothing, nothing can happen in our church without the kind of mass mobilization of many members who are willing to contribute their small piece of it. And somehow at the end of all of that, like God's work gets done. And yeah, I could see how the military experience is like that too. Hey, just curious. I mean, this is sort of not, this is not a spiritual question, but what's the biggest difference that you see between military life and civilian life? And you can take that however you want, but... I'm just curious because you spent how many years total were you there? Uh, just under five years from 2014 to 2019. Yeah. So, you know, you had five years of your time as an adult. How, how would you compare military life to civilian life? Oh, man. Yeah, I felt in the during the military, like I had to learn fast. I had to mature fast because I oh, man, I just remember this story where I was at boot camp and then we were preparing and I did something wrong. I had, there was like this, this reflective belt that we had and I didn't know how to put it on. So I was like fumbling with it. And then there was like the supervisor that was looking at me. It was just, he was just so disappointed. And then just, he just started like <laughs> yelling at me and he was, he was like, Oh, you're going to get someone killed in combat. And I was like, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so like, i think just like the re- the realization that oh man like i might have to like have someone like someone's live like under me it's oh, okay mm-hmm. like i have to be like well prepared i have to be i have to learn fast i have to mature so i think that was kind of like hard that i think that was like pretty whereas i think like in the civilian world like actually maybe not because i guess in like the workplace i guess like you're expected to learn fast and do well, but I don't know. It feels like in the military, like it feels as a civilian, there's there's more of a buffer. There's like more forgiveness, whereas in yeah, the military, it was just like, oh man, your mistakes have consequences. Yeah, and like the stakes aren't as high, you know. Like I, yeah, I talk yeah. about when I was at Levi's. At the end of the day, if something goes wrong, like someone's not going to get their pants. Um, <laughs> so it's yeah. not as, as big of a deal as like somebody's yeah. life is on. So, yeah. Yeah. And I guess like another difference that that I just like suddenly thought of was just probably just kind of like the different restrictions. You know, after work, you can do whatever you want. But like during the military, like depending on how many days you have off, 
whether it's like a weekend or something we call a 72 or a 96, which is just official turns for a three-day or four-day weekend, we have like, we, we call it liberty limits. Basically, liberty means time off work. So like what, how, like how you spend that before the next work day, you could only go like a certain, within a certain radius of like the duty station that you were assigned to. So by duty station, I just mean like the military base. Hmm. So yeah, I guess that was something that was different aside from, you know, just having to wake up early in the morning to train. I think hmm. one thing I underappreciated was the one and a half hour lunches that I got. Hmm. <laughs> nice. <laughs> What what is the do you know what the heart behind the liberty limits is? What's the reasoning for that? You know, I'm actually not too sure. I think they just want you to be in I think they just want you to be like near the military base in case something happens. And I think mm. I think a big thing in the military was like accountability. Yeah, like one thing that before you would go on a trip, we would have these asking for time off was like a really detailed process you had to say like where you were going how many days you're taking off your emergency contact information and then then there was like another unknown rule not unknown but just kind of underground rules were like all right who's your accountant who's your accountability so i think like the liberty limits was just kind of like a way to maybe just kind of like limit like the distance like someone would have to find like you or something but honestly i'm not too sure yeah I mean, it makes sense uh, given that the military is a very mission-minded organization, right? Like the military has a specific purpose and every person serving in the military has a purpose, right? And what we are saying earlier, I think it's related to the whole, you know, you were analogizing it to that First Corinthians 12 passage, the, mm-hmm. you know, the body having many members. And it's, it's sort of like that. If you're trying to accomplish something together, then people need to know kind of where you are. If an emergency comes up, right? I mean, the you have to be able to deploy again, even if you're like, you know, I guess you have your liberty time, but, you know, you, you might get deployed at that time too. So it's, yeah, it's really interesting. I do see a lot of parallels between like the military as um, to like, not just our church, but in any, like, even for Christian organizations, especially like mission organizations or people who have like, very strong purposes. I see how like, yeah, there's a lot of parallels there. Uh, so it's kind of interesting to, to hear you talk about that. Hey, let's talk. Yeah, let's talk about your spiritual background a little bit. So I know you made your decision your uh, freshman year at the University of Chicago at, at our church. So what were your beliefs or what was your background before that? Yeah. So I, I just remember, I think there was some like demographic like surveys that like I remember filling out. And whenever it like, came to the question about like religion, that was one question where like, oh, I don't know how to answer this. I think I just picked a random one. So then I, and I just remember asking my parents, oh, what do we believe in? What's like our religious beliefs? And then my parents said, oh, we're Roman Catholics. And, and then that, that was it. I didn't investigate any further. I think since then, I just kind of identified myself as Catholic or Christian if Catholic was not available. But overall, I had like, growing up, I had very like little like religious like background i mean sometimes like i would go to um mass with my parents on sundays Hmm. but then i think i would complain so much that like i think we eventually stopped going (laughs) because yeah i thought church was boring like as a kid Mm. like you know having to go through oh why are we kneeling why are we standing oh why are we singing or what are we even talking about i had no idea what was going on Mm. 
And then as like as I got into middle school and high school, my parent, my mom was like trying to ingrain the idea of, oh, do you want to go to an after school Bible study program? Do you want to do confirmation? And I was like, no, why would I do that? <laughs> like I just want to hang out with my friends and play video games and do schoolwork. So, oh, I don't have time for that. Which I probably had time, but yeah, I just didn't want to like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah. want to go through it. And then there was also like, yeah, we would go during Christmas Eve service, but you know, it was usually one of those. Oh, if you don't go to Christmas service, you can't open presents, and I wanted to open mm. my presents. Nice. <laughs> and then I remember having this Hume class in high school where it compared religious stories and Greek stories, and yeah, I just remember being like kind of interested about the fall account, Noah's flood. And yeah, just kind of comparing that. And but I think if I had to ID what my beliefs were, I think I leaned towards agnostic, mm-hmm. being agnostic, because yeah, I think at the time like I didn't know if God was real, but I couldn't like disprove his existence. So mm-hmm. I think like I just read the description of what agnosticism was. I was like, oh yeah, that aligns with me. So mm. I think I probably would have claimed that I was agnostic. So coming to college, um, like, were you looking for a church? And how did you first start coming out to, coming out to our church? The question or the answer is absolutely not. <laughs> I think <laughs> trying to find a church was like the farthest thing from my mind. I think I was so ready to get out of the military and just really ready to move on with this next phase of my life of going to college and getting my degree that like, I think that was like my sole focus. Hmm. But I did interface or I did meet our church during my orientation week. We had just completed the convocation at Rockefeller Chapel. And I was with one of my military buddies and he was throwing a frisbee with someone he had met. And I asked if I could join um, him. So we were out in the quad throwing a frisbee. And then Huna was the staff that walked up to us and asked us if we wanted to join and have pizza and we're like oh sure we'll join and then yeah i just remember I, oh man i think you were there kata was there at the time Lishin and stella and hannah park and agape yeah funny funny story my side of the story for that incident is that i think because i think we had reserved that part of the quad for our welcome week event and so then we got there to set up and then you know was oh i'm gonna go kick those people off like <laughs> like this is our like our space like i'm gonna tell them to leave and then Kata was like, you know, you should invite them to join us. She's like, we're trying to meet students. <laughs> She's like, oh, all right. Uh, and probably going to hear this and correct something that's actually not correct. But that's at least my remember how I remember the story. Oh, man. I, yeah, I just remember throwing frisbee. We ate pizza and then agape. Um I remember I was, I forgot who I was talking to, but I was like, wow, Agape is like a puppy. He's so energetic. (laughs) (laughs) So I just remember like my first impression of Agape, like he was very energetic. And then he was actually like the one that started talking to me about like my religious background. What did I uh, believe in? If I was like, he was like asking me more get to know you per like personal questions. I remember we were, we were talking about like the Suns because he was from Arizona, mm. and yeah, I just remember there was a vibe that I was getting where, oh man, I 
these guys are part of a church, and I don't know how I feel about this. And I think I think he was like very nice. And yeah, so like when he started asking me about like my religious background, I was like, okay, yeah, that just confirmed that yeah, they were a church. And he tried inviting me out to the uh, student welcome night, but then I kind of said, oh, I said no, I'm not a Christian, like I wouldn't belong at your event. And then I just remember him being saying like, oh, that, like that's totally okay. I was like, oh, okay, I'm still probably not gonna go. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, that was my last time interacting with like you guys until a couple weeks later where agape invited me out to a bible study and laser tag and actually i don't i'm not that even for me like the sequence of events was like starting to get kind of fuzzy because i think one thing i asked agape during that time was like because i think he was challenging me to explore like christianity and to give it a chance and I was like, how would I even begin? Should I just begin with Genesis or bring with, but then he was, he said something about helpful about starting with the New Testament. And um, so I think that kind of just sparked some curiosity about like potentially reading the Bible. And yeah, I think I just remember during these, this time, a lot of old memories were starting to kind of flood back because during boot camp. That was when I was like introduced to the idea that the Bible speaks truth into our lives because one of my rackmates at boot camp was trying to ask me about like my uh, religious background and he was giving me his own personal testimony. Mm-hmm. And then I had my friend Tyler, who was a devout Christian, and he was like a very good friend of mine in the Marine Corps. And he was something I really respected. He was physically fit. He was a great leader, good husband, loving father. He had a degree, and I think what he had in his life was something that I wanted to aspire to. And like, I think the one thing that made that stood out was he claimed that everything that he does, he devotes to God. He wants to get, he wants to give God his all. And yeah, I think this conversation happened because I think we were doing. Like an, an initial fitness test. We were just trying to see like where we were at physically. And I just remember him going super all out running, getting 20 pull-ups, hundred plus crunches and running three miles in under 19 minutes. I'm like, dude, you could have totally relaxed. We're not, we're not doing this for score. This is just an initial test. Like, why are you trying so hard? And then that's when he said, like, why would I not give my best to God? Yeah. I remember being personally struck by that and just his conviction of his faith so that when I eventually went to college during this time, I was like, I started remembering these two, I guess you can call them seeds. And I think that just kind of sparked the curiosity that once Agape extended that invite for laser tag and Bible study, I was like willing to accept it and Mm. check it out. What was your impression at that Bible? I guess that was the first uh, event you came to. Yeah. I remember we played laser tag in in front of that statue in front of I House. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think Alex Rodriguez led that event, and that's yeah. where I met Vivian. And yeah, I remember laser tag was pretty fun. I got to meet more of students. Yeah, Kevin and Angel, and then I remember I think Clasis Berkeley was also helping around that time because I remember we went back to. 
uh, uni or university where like the uh, single bros used to live. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they had come for a short term, like a mission trip to help with our fall activities, I think. Yeah, so we did the Friday night Bible study. And I just remember someone from, I, I think it was the vision team or like that gave a testimony. And I found it like very like relatable, like even though like I wasn't like going through his experience, I even if I like I didn't go through his experience, I could relate with a lot of the sentiments. And I think that eventually was what pushed me to finally check out church for the first time. So can you take us through so from there till you made your decision, kind of what was what were you experiencing? What helped you on your journey to making that actual decision to follow Jesus? which I believe was like November or something like that of that. Yeah. Yeah. So after accepting that invitation to go to church, I remember my preconception of church was just shattered. Once I got the, the address, I started walking and as as I approached the lab schools, I was like, I guess I was like trying to look for church buildings. I guess I'm so used to seeing, you know, like these nice like cathedrals or kind of just a self-isolated building for like mass that, yeah, I had no idea what I was looking for until I ran into our A-frame and then there was someone that was greeting who directed me into the lab schools. And then, you know, as people greeted me and guided me to like where the church service was, I just remember being in the lab school's band room. (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, after my initial greetings, like greeting others, saying hi to people, I just remember one of the thoughts that crossed my mind was like, you can have church in a band room? <laughs> <laughs> and, but, you know, so I think just realized, and then I think at the time, like, uh, so I, there was like a famous quote from one of the event, not, I think it was the Thor movies, I think like Ragnarok where, oh, Asgardian is a place, not a there's a people, not a place. I just remember going <laughs> to church. I was like, oh, it's kind of like that as like that Thor quote. Oh, church is a people, not a place. Yeah. So yeah, I just remember yeah, going to that. And then, yeah, I think we were going through Genesis at the time. I remember you taking off your ring and throwing it. A fake ring. Just, Wait, uh, was that your first service? I don't think that was my first service, but it was oh, like one shit. of the more memorable services oh, like later on. And yeah, yeah. but yeah, as we were going through the content of what sin was, like who Jesus was, and like exhorting us to check out Christianity. And yeah, just seeing and reflecting on like my own sinfulness and brokenness, like I think that spurred me to continue seeking, continuing to be involved with our church. And there was also another emotional or personal aspect where, yeah, even though I was so gung-ho about going to UChicago, there was an aspect where I actually felt very lonely. And I had just left my support network and job security back in California and after leaving the military. So, yeah, coming to college, like, I had, I was basically starting, like, a new life, like, new chapter So I didn't have any connections and it was kind of hard to meet students because I wasn't placed in a dorm, which we're supposed to stay in for two years. So I was in an off-campus apartment with myself and a roommate 
And yeah, I was just basically a commuter student. I would just go to and from classes. I would study. So it was hard to connect with others and build friends. I just remember our church being kind of like a highlight at that point where, oh, wow, this is a place where like, I can meet people. So there was like that social aspect that drew me in. And yeah, as I continued to, yeah, just, you know, be a regular at like the Bible studies, just learn more about who God was, what sin was, and seeing my own brokenness from my apathetic treatment from my dad during when he had cancer, to seeing my own selfish ambitions of wanting to get get a degree. And yeah, just reflecting on my manipulation of my junior Marines to make myself look better. And just ultimately the chasing after cheap thrills, skydiving, that wow, like these cheap thrills like ultimately don't satisfy because it just feels like my entire life I've been like trying to like put up this like image. And like, I think I was kind of like tired and weary of that. And ultimately like, I think that's, and then as I struggled with the loneliness, I remember I was like reading through like Matthew and there was like the great Great commission, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And the, (laughs) at the time, the great commission didn't really stand out by making disciples, but what did stand out was, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So I think during this time where I was struggling with loneliness, there was the idea of, wow, having someone that knows me that I like, I can go to, that was kind of like comforting. Then I think the next step was going to our fall retreat during that first year. This was just us, just us and the staff and like a couple of the students. And yeah, this was like the one retreat. So I remember we were rocking walking on the lake and then you were telling me about like your ROTC or junior ROTC experience and I remember doing an exercise called the river of life and there were like various aspects the bends and turns the whirlpools and what you're like looking forward to I forgot what that was represented by but Hmm. I just remember the first time like when I was like going over the whirlpools of my life that was when I began talking about my father's cancer and Mm. i think that was probably the first time i started talking about that area of my life to other people Mm. because i don't yeah i definitely didn't process it well as an 18 year old and then in the military you know where you're kind of like holding and bottling in your emotions i think it was just something that i never got to talk about with someone So there was like never an opportunity, I feel, to talk about it openly. So I think, yeah, I think that's when I started realizing that, oh, wow, I feel like my own heart softening. Just really seeing like the gospel come alive and then seeing like my own brokenness. And then I think as I continued attending Bible studies and Sunday worship service, I think that ultimately led me to sign up for the Thanksgiving retreat, which was combined with Northwestern at the time. And yeah, I think I had learned enough about Christianity. I had seen my own sinfulness that I think I was like pretty close to wanting to make a decision, but I didn't know what that would look like. Like, Hmm. what was I supposed to do? 
So I, so I didn't know if it was just a prayer to God. Do I have to tell someone about it? I remember during a time, a fun time, we were doing like the ropes course, the leap of faith. So basically to give context, this was like a ropes course and you're like on, I don't know, two or three stories high. And then there's a bar you have to jump and grab it. And, and they called that the leap of faith. So I remember going up there and I was like, I guess I was kind of like bartering at God. Cause I was like, God, like if I, if I make this jump and I grab onto that bar, I will follow you. So, um, <laughs> no way. Oh, it's so, my first time hearing this, I think. Yeah, yeah, this is the fluff that was like taken out of that I didn't. Uh, I yeah, so there was like this internal, so I was like, kind of like yeah, bartering yeah. God in my mind. And then I remember as I like jump out, so the protective helmet that, that, that I was wearing, it like slid over my face so I couldn't see anything. <laughs> And then <laughs> I just remember I grabbed the bar and I was like, whoa, whoa. And then I remember, I, I think I was like the first one to like uh, do the leap of faith because people were like cheering. But I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So I didn't actually think like, That's like funny. that would be like an answered prayer. And yeah, I just remember as we were like wrapping up that retreat. We were going over, oh, I think it was John 21, I believe, the restoration of Peter. Yep. And yeah, I think the what stood out to me was, wow, here is Peter who was basically at the right hand of Jesus. He witnessed his life. He was at his teachings and like he was being a servant for him and yeah, just this picture of yeah, just Peter abandoning Jesus at like his lowest moment with the crucifixion and then yeah, but then after Jesus' resurrection and then Jesus going to Peter and basically like giving him an offer of like restoration. I remember that passage like like that I don't want to say broke me, but that that got me. I remember during that, I was like just bawling. I was like, oh man, here am I who for the past 23 years of my life, I had, I wanted nothing to do with God. <clears throat> like I didn't even acknowledge it. I didn't even acknowledge him, but yeah, here is Jesus who is there. Wait, like with that same offer of, I want to... I want you to follow me. I want you to know me. And I think I remember like after that time, like I think we had time to pray. So like after like wiping away my tears, which was kind of funny because I think next to me, I was sitting next to Gene, who was, who was a class of 2022 grad. And I remember crying. And then Alex had a very similar experience where he was sitting next to Gene at senior retreat and he started crying. Oh, and yeah. at the time, we both didn't know Gene. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So I, I just thought that, that just like randomly popped up. But yeah, I just remember during that time, like I just left that room and um, I remember praying, saying, like, oh, it's, in such like a broken way that like I don't like really remember the prayer, but I remember it was pretty broken. But I just remember asking, "Yeah, Jesus, I remember. I recognize my sinfulness, the way that I'm trying to pursue my life. I want to like, <clears throat> I want to surrender that to you. I want you to like, I want you to take the helm of my life." 
So I made that prayer. And then I think we had one final activity where, you know, you handed out a piece of paper and then you asked, oh, are you a Christian? Or do you make your lordship decision? Did you make a salvation decision? Or do you want to continue to seek? And yeah, I remember checking the box saying, yeah, I want to place my faith in Jesus. And then, you know, I, you know, I didn't really like I checked the box and I, I like thought nothing of it, not realizing that, oh, I had decided to become a Christian. So I just remember like, <laughs> on, on the way back, you know, I think I was like in the bros van and I was talking to Agape and I think Stefan was there. And I was we were just kind of like talking about the retreat, how I experienced it. And yeah. I remember we stopped at that Giordani's for dinner and you asked me what I thought the retreat was and I told you, oh, I decided to <clears throat> I decided to follow Jesus. I checked that box on the piece of paper and then I yeah, I just remember you being shocked and wanting to <laughs> announce it. And I was like, sure, what's the big deal? <laughs> so at the time I didn't really I really recognize the significance of like a salvation decision so yeah i just thought it was like super and i was like yeah sure you can announce it but yeah i didn't think <laughs> yeah. Some, like joy- joyous occasion yeah but <laughs> yeah that was awesome that was shocking <laughs> it was like oh you became christian oh wow <laughs> yeah i guess maybe there wasn't a prompt actually i don't know if it was like, at the time, because I, I feel like there's usually a prompt where it's, oh, if you wanted to become a Christian today, you should maybe talk to your staff or your mentor. I don't think that was like a thing. No, I don't, think we we s- I don't think we said that. At the- yeah, it's like, okay, I'll just keep this to myself. I'll check the box. And yeah, yeah I thought that would be it. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And man, since then, uh, what a journey uh, God has taken you on. Um, you know, that was just the first of many uh, steps of, of faith that you took and so um it's kind of interesting to hear about the leap of faith thing yeah, i didn't that's kind of funny <laughs> <laughs> so um as you think about like your time in college then um what would you say was like a spiritual low point for you or and then a spiritual high point as you think about like how you tried to grow in your faith in the next mm-hmm. uh, three and a half years after that yeah, I think a spiritual low point was my third quarter of third year. During this time period, I think I suffered from burnout. I had moved in with like my Christian roommates and then yeah, just trying to Yeah, I guess trying to learn like what it means to be and older brother learning how to be a peer while also just like trying to grow in like my spiritual disciplines because oh man yeah i'm i was pretty bad with ha- having like dt be like a consistent like rhythm and so while trying to like build myself up spiritually also trying to handle like the academic rigors of u chicago i think it eventually became too much where like i became kind of like demotivated to do anything so during that quarter i was like i was really i wasn't going to class i was like snoozing my alarm for two hours and yeah looking back like man i should have i probably should have asked for help during that time but then i reaped the consequences and i ended up failing 
two major classes uh, during that quarter. Yeah, so I got an F in algorithms. I got a D in programming languages. And I was just like, and the funny thing is, was like, I wasn't even surprised. I was like expecting it. It didn't come off as a shocker, but then I think that realization, seeing that result, it was like, wow, something needs to change. And yeah, I just remember that being very difficult. But at the same time, what followed after was just kind of like, I think it was a nice like hard reset, like being able to go to SLT. Because I think one thing that I was like kind of thinking about was like, wow, um, like we're, I, I guess in, in my mind, I understand that, wow, we're supposed to, <clears throat> uh, we're supposed to see uh, people as lost souls that needed to be saved. And that was something that I didn't feel emotionally until I went to SLT where I got to interface with the youth and just kind of seeing their lives in New York and yeah, just kind of growing in my conviction of, yeah, God's heart of just like wanting people to be saved. And yeah, I think there was like just a very sweet moment where yeah, I think during SLT, I <clears throat> volunteered to give like a happiness is like message. No, what's happiness is? It was some kind of like happiness is talk for one of the youth, youth night events that we got to host at one of the churches in New York. And yeah, I just remember after that time, we were talking to a, a group of students and then there was this girl who was like, who really enjoyed the event. This was like the first time she heard the gospel being preached in English because she would attend services with her, her parents, but those services would be in Spanish. Yeah, I think it was cool being able to go through like the gospel bridge illustration and like seeing her resonate with it. And yeah, I just remember her kind of just talking about how, yeah, she wants to take like her faith like more seriously, but she feels she can't because, oh man, I feel like I have to be like this perfect person before God. Like I have to pray, I have to go to service. But then, yeah, just kind of like reaffirming that we don't have salvation through our works, but through our own personal decision to have a relationship with Jesus. But yeah, I think it was cool being able to clarify that for her and kind of see her light up when she heard that. I think that was kind of a spiritual high moment of just, yeah, just the, the SLT experience in college. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's kind of neat how the, maybe the spiritual low point in your life, um, yeah, maybe led into that spiritual high point of the, the summer and kind of maybe prepared your heart for that. As you think about the low point that you were sharing about, like with the burnout that you experienced, you know, lack of motivation, all of this. Is there something that you could have done differently or what would you have done differently? If anything, maybe there was nothing that could have prevented it. Maybe it was just a necessary part in your story. But like, how, how have you processed that? Yeah, so I think kind of looking back at that time, I think a lot of it was probably pride. I think in I think some of the old habits in the military of trying to keep my emotions in, not wanting to be seen weak in front of like others and asking others for help. I think as I like transitioned out of like post grad, this is a lesson that like I am learning and like finding out about myself. So yeah, I guess like during that time I probably would have I wish that like I probably that I like would have talked to uh, someone about it, whether it was like my peers or like a staff uh, leader, 
during that time, which, yeah, to me, it kind of felt like who my leader was. It felt kind of unclear now that I think about it. Like, I didn't know who was, like, mm-hmm. actually, like, leading us. So, yeah, I think just wanting to have someone to talk to probably could have been, like, very, like, beneficial for mm-hmm. me. Yeah, that's good to hear. It's kind of interesting that you see, um, you don't know who your leader was um, and at church, and that's partially probably by design because <laughs> I think in Chicago church, we've been trying <laughs> to have a model um, where it's not – because sometimes uh, in other churches or um, like – in, in even the context that I grew up in college ministry, like you, know, you have a particular leader who is your shepherd. And, uh-huh. and ultimately we, we do have that in our structure, mm-hmm. but I think we try to design it in such a way that um, every person has multiple staff that they feel like they can go to. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah. So, and, but maybe the downside to that is who am I supposed to talk to? <laughs> yeah. So, so I guess for the students listening, you know, you, you can talk to, you can talk to whichever staff you feel closest or, you know, you feel comfortable talking to because they're all available mm-hmm. to you. So yeah. that's the heart behind it. Yeah. Let's just talk about post-grad life and, and maybe that'll be the last topic here for today. Um, yeah. So, so obviously you um, went through our ministry as an undergrad and you've graduated uh, about six months ago uh-huh. and a working, working man now. So could you tell us a little bit about like your thought process in terms of like why you wanted to continue to stay around in Chicago, continue to serve at our church. Cause not, no, not everyone does that, nor do we expect everyone to Right? There's uh, plenty of people we've ministered to here in Chicago who have moved on and uh, gone to grad school, gone to jobs, you know, and you know, we're thankful for the ways that we got to intersect with them. And then, but then some subset of people uh, like yourself choose to stay uh, around or get a job around here. Um, and then now you're serving as sort of a new grad and, and getting plugged into our post-grad ministry. So um, tell us, like, what were some of your uh, thought processes for that? So I think one thing that I alluded to back about my military experience was probably the sense of purpose that the military gives. Uh, Yeah, there's this mission. So I think as I went through undergrad, as, you know, as I got to be a student, being ministered to by the, the staff and church. I think that identity or like that uh, question of what is my purpose going to be? What is my life purpose going to be about? That was a question that had to be answered. And I think as I experienced various things from what I've learned through our Bible studies, through church, and what I've experienced at SLT, vision, the even going on foreign missions, I think a conviction was growing in me that, okay, my great purpose, my purpose is supposed to be the great commission, like making disciples of like all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded. And, and I think part of me, there was a sense that I had to be like this perfect Christian to do this mission. So I think that was one thing that held me back from wanting to completely commit to staying with our church. Because yeah, with the COVID year, there wasn't really opportunities for evangelism. And yeah, just seeing all the various evangelistic opportunities that we are like now offering to the students, it was like, oh, wow, I wish I I had this as an undergrad. But you know, I'm very thankful because I think even though I was like bad at 
detail. I think just being able to take those small steps of obeying God through just showing up to a staff DT session, showing up to a Bible study, and saying yes to Sunday worship services or retreat. I think that consistency just was starting to like build up to, I think where the final culminating point was after like graduation, after the the Philippines mission trip, it was just like, I, I think it just made sense to, if I wanted to honor like the Great Commission and to honor some of the relationships that I did have, I, like, it, I think it just made sense to stay in Chicago, even despite facing an unemployment period. Because yeah, I could have easily like, have gotten back to San Diego because we do have a church there, a Wave College church. But, you know, I don't have the same like relationships that I have in San Diego, aside maybe from Jeff B that I do have in Chicago. Yeah, I think like mm. want, wanting to obey like the Great Commission, wanting to uh, trust in God with this next step of my life and to, yeah, just really like work alongside the, the mentors that, that, yeah, working alongside the mentors that mentored me. I think that just pushed me to, yeah, I just wanted to stay in Chicago. And mm. I also didn't want to leave Matt alone. yeah no i appreciate that man in some ways it's i appreciate how that's not a simple decision it's never been a simple decision i guess but especially because you know like our the peer classes that come out of university chicago (laughs) issue they're not huge and Mm -hmm. and i mean we had you know your class actually we ministered to a good number of uh, guys you know but then we, we knew that most of them you know like were doing grad school and things like that. And so they're moving on. And so it sort of came down to you and Matt kind of trying to figure out what your futures are going to be. And, and Matt's like from Chicago, so <laughs> he's yeah. going to be around. Yeah, but no, I'm thankful, man. I'm thankful that you're here. I'm thankful that you're like in some ways reunited with Stefan and Vivian and and the Age Sisters. And you guys are like our kind of youth cohort right now trying to figure out uh, different youth opportunities for us here. And so it's been really exciting to, uh, to see the things that you guys are doing, um, I, I saw pictures from that hope the Hope City event that you guys did this past <laughs> week. So that was really neat. Um, so, as you think about post grad life, um, what's been like? What's what's something you've enjoyed about post grad life, and then what's what's something that's been unexpected about post grad life so far? I guess, and I guess I'm thinking par- particularly about kind of as it pertains to being a post grad in our ministry. Yeah, so I'm going to start with the what was unexpected because that kind of leads into what I enjoyed because one thing that I was like very unexpected was I thought I would miss my like independence or like my time to like for myself to I don't know build up uh my own skills or wanting to do hobbies but yeah, it was kind of strange because I just remember during yeah, during that unemployment period there was like this random Tuesday night where there was like nothing going on. And I was like, wow, this is strange. I'm not meeting with anybody. Like, cause the students haven't come back yet. So like uh, we were just like preparing for that. So uh, I just remember coming back from Greenwood cause we were working at, we were working from home there and now still job searching. So yeah, I went back to Greenwood and Matt had, I think he had like plans with like his dad or like a friend. So he wasn't in, he wasn't around. And then some of the international guys, I think they had like a meeting. So uh, I was, 
by myself in like our old our old single bros apartment in 51st street and Mm -hmm. i was like wow this is very strange and this this kind of sucks wow i feel so alone right now i should have made plans or something but then oh man was i thankful for agape and josh because they called me asking what i was like doing i was like i I was like on my way to taco bell because i was like i hadn't i didn't make any any dinner plans i hadn't gone like grocery shopping so i was gonna get like a quick dinner but then yeah it was nice because like after agape and josh picked me up and we got to yeah just go back to our place play board games and eat dinner so yeah i thought that was like a very sweet moment and yeah i think that leads to what i really enjoy about like post-grad life because like in a way sometimes like it kind of like really doesn't feel ah that this might be strange but it kind of doesn't feel different from what I experience as like a student other than the fact that I feel like I'm interfacing in the lives with a lot more staff. So like, I feel like the day to day, like I'm constantly seeing like people from like our church. So yeah. And yeah, I think that's one thing that I've really grown to enjoy from yeah, just being able to do DTs with the single bros at our place to just our, our various DT groups with our own college team. Like, yeah, I think I've really just enjoyed being able to, yeah, just rub lives with you guys a lot more. Mm. Yeah, and it's been neat having you on the other side, having you guys join some of the staff meetings and uh-huh. things like that. So, yeah, it's been fun for me. <clears throat> what would you say, so as you think about your Chicago experience and as you think about the students that are in our ministry now, what would be a word of encouragement that you would want to give? to the Chicago student? I think to really grow in, yeah, just your walk in your faith and your walk with Jesus, I think it really does begin with the simple yeses. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think just saying yes to, okay, I will attend like this DT session. I will go to this Bible study. If you're around for the holidays or like some kind of like break, I will say yes to, yeah, just going into this trip and, yeah, it doesn't have to be like this grand like act of like devotion to God, but it can just yeah, just be something simple to help something simple that you can do that will eventually like build up because uh, for one example, one thing that comes into mind is yeah, as a student, like it was hard to really prioritize DT, but I did try to prioritize the time, the DT times with the staff, whether it was like with you or Agape, or Stefan. And what I think what I found was that by constantly being consistent in those times, hmm. as I would go, as I went into my post-grad life, where I'm like in the single bros place, doing something like our devotions is like, is less of a drama. Like I, like, going from one time to doing like a more consistent few days of DT throughout the week. Cause I know we have our set rhythms, but even like when those rhythms aren't in place, okay, I know that I should be doing DT during this time. I think my encouragement to the students would be to, yeah, just kind of really self-examine like where you are and then if, and then just try to do one small thing for God, even if it's okay, I'll pray for five minutes or mm-hmm. And then eventually that will build up to, okay, I can pray for 10, 15, an hour. 
So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good practical advice. Yeah. Um, so we'll do our, our last uh, question, which is uh, usually, you know, we turn it around. And if you have any questions for me, as you think about our relationship, you know, just any other stories that you told, anything you're curious about from my perspective. Yeah, I'm very, yeah, I'm like, I think over the, these past four years of college, I'm kind of very curious about what your viewpoint of me was. Like, what was like, kind of like, like your first impression and as we yeah hmm that's that's hard that's four years worth of <laughs> four years worth of observations and <laughs> feelings that i'm trying to net out in a sense or like a couple sentences here let's see it was yeah i mean overall i think i was encouraged because you know I remember when I first met you and then you started coming out more regularly to Sunday services. I think even to some of the Bible studies, you know, and it was kind of, you know, later on as I, as we kind of worked on your testimony for your baptism and things like that, it was interesting to hear your side of the story there. And, but for me, you know, that was when I first moved to Chicago, you know, you, Matt, your class was my first set of freshmen that I was kind of ministering to here. And so you guys always felt significant in that way to me. But I saw you steadily making progress. So I think I was encouraged. I think you came in not Christian. And then, yeah, like a couple months in, you were ready to make that decision to become Christian. Right. And then I think in the winter quarter, that's when I think that's when we were doing Course 101 together. Yeah. Right. You, um, Matt, and then a couple more guys. And we would meet at what is now like a ramen shop, I heard, at, at the South Dorm. Really? It's a ramen shop now? Or I, I heard they have a ramen shop there now. Yeah. But that's oh, interesting. Market. We would grab a little table there and because a couple of the guys were living at South at the time. Yeah, like it was like for me, I was adjusting to a lot at that time. I was adjusting mm-hmm. to, you know, obviously being in a new city, uh, being in a new role. I didn't know the 2015 bros all that well. So I was kind of working through things with them and trying to figure out how to work with them and, and kind of meet their needs as their mentor. And I, I think amidst all of that, it was nice to have a group of students that I was meeting with weekly to to share the gospel with them and and then then there were a lot of times where you know and this is just ministry but a lot of times where i felt really uncertain about like how to what the next thing was especially during the times you know that you cited your junior year when you were kind of experiencing burnout because you know as if you've known someone for a few years you can kind of tell when um, people are sort of getting tired or oh man you know there's a man like first couple years like you know I, i sense jason's on fire and he's so excited and then you know, there's a period where you sense that excitement, like maybe the, all the behavior is still there. Maybe you're still coming to everything. But then there's this in, intuitive sense sometimes that, oh, man, I feel like their love for Jesus, their love for God, their love for God's people is sort of waning. Right. And when you yeah. feel that there's a lot of times, I mean, you detect it and you're not sure exactly what to do. Right. And so I remember feeling those ways and, and, and I remember praying for you and, you know, and for for others in our ministry, too. And they're hoping that, you know, the next thing, you know, like whether that's because I, I often think that in, in those times, sometimes what we need is like these high impact liminal experiences that we talk about sometimes, right? <clears throat> like you know, retreat or you need uh, like just even a bros getaway. Like sometimes we'll do stuff like that, right? I remember we went like in the middle of COVID, we like just took whoever was around, we went paintballing, right? <laughs> and, you know, maybe we didn't have done that because it was in the height of COVID. But, um, <laughs> but we had- together and that was one of my formative memories uh, with you guys and so we just try whatever we can and then hopefully some something lands something sticks 
And yeah, so overall, I don't know. I feel very thankful because it's sort of no one's spiritual journey is linear. It's sort of. Yeah. I mean, that's a very rare person where it's just like constant growth all the way. Right. Everyone goes through these hills and valley times. And, and I think w- what really makes or breaks people is whether they're able to hold on and, and kind of related to your advice that you gave, right. You know, and I'm sure that's maybe related to your experience, but, you know, just saying yes, just saying yes and, and showing up. And as you show up, what, what happens is that you give a room or a context for the Holy Spirit to actually work in your life. And the more, more you make yourself available to the Holy Spirit like that, the more chance there is that, that God can like, continue to do something in your heart. So anyways, I, I've seen that uh, play out for you in that way. Overall, I'm I'm very grateful that you're, you know, around and serving and trying to love Jesus and people around you. All right, man. Well, thanks for making time, dude. And uh, well, these these recordings always end up being way longer <laughs> than I thought, I think. And we cover way less ground than I think. <laughs> so we have a bunch of questions again that we had that we didn't get to. So maybe we'll have a part two. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation and um, Merry Christmas to all of you. And on Christmas Day, we'll be dropping a special episode from our various Voyage members. So looking forward to that. And uh, otherwise, since the beginning of winter quarter is sort of a busy period, um, might not be able to produce episodes until um, the middle of January. Okay, but we'll see you then.